welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. In this week's edition, Simon Barrington, founder and director of Forge, interviews Bob Freeman, Associate Professor of Global Leadership at Fuller Seminary in California, about his leadership experiences and issues of spiritual formation. So today I'm joined on the Forge Leadership Podcast by uh, Bob Freeman. Bob is Assistant Professor of Global Leadership in the School of Intercultural Studies at uh, Fuller Seminary in the United States. And he's also Associate Dean for Fuller's Master of Arts in Global Leadership and Doctor of Missiology programs. He teaches leadership development with a focus on adult education techniques and the use of information technologies. I, I first met Bob when I took the Master of Arts in Global Leadership um, back in 2008 to 2011 and that's an accredited degree that can be earned almost entirely online um, but also has a, a cohort element to it and also um, an intensive face-to-face -face element. So I know Bob's keen on uh, developing uh, leaders and developing technological and alternative modes of development for leaders and leaders who are already in ministry. So Bob, welcome uh, to the podcast. Thank you, Simon. It's great to be with you again. Bob, tell me a little bit about yourself. How, how does one become a, an assistant professor in global leadership? <laughs> well, it's a, it's a long story, but the short version of it is uh, I had... Uh, couple different careers uh, early on in my life, one in the Air Force and one in a couple different types of businesses. And uh, at some point in there, I felt a call to go to seminary. And so I assumed that was to be a pastor or to be a missionary. And while I was at uh, seminary preparing for missions, I began to study a different philosophy of leadership development called theological education by extension. And the idea there was that rather than preparing young people for future ministry by giving them two or three years worth of education, rather we put the onus on the church to find people with the appropriate gifts to put them into ministry. And then we take the theological education to them and say, stay in your ministry uh, while you study. And uh, that actually became my calling. I started working for Gordon Conwell Seminary where I had been a student beginning uh, the program there and uh, at the time uh, in order to deliver it to uh, where the leaders were we used the uh, cutting-edge technology of notebooks and cassette tapes which uh, <laughs> makes me uh, cringe a little bit that I didn't think I was that old Later on, uh, Fuller Seminary called and asked if I'd like to start a distance learning program for them. And uh, so I've been there with Fuller now for 20 years. Yeah, and there you really pioneered um, with others the formation of the Masters of Arts in Global Leadership. What's, what's behind that program? What are some of the founding principles of that program as you seek to uh, invest in the lives of leaders who are already uh, in posts, who are already in ministry? Well, first and foremost was this uh, idea that I already mentioned of uh, trying to develop the leaders that God has called as opposed to uh, preparing uh, leaders that we think should be in leadership. And so to do that, you need to do it by uh, some form of distance learning so that they can stay in their leadership position. For instance, the Masters of Arts in Global Leadership only allows what we call in-service leaders in the program you have to have at least four years of ministry experience and be in leadership position while you study. So of the 275 
students that we currently have in the program. Actually, the average age is about 40 with 10 years of leadership experience. We have uh, equal percentages of pastors, missionaries, and other organizational leaders who come from over 40 different denominations. Um, right now, about 60% are serving in North America and 40% uh, internationally. And it's about a 60-40 split in terms of 60% men and 40% women. And uh, the mission of the program is to come alongside and equip in-service leaders from all parts of the world with transformational graduate education for leadership in their context. And the key word there is transformational. And we want to help them realize how God is working to change their character and spiritual formation. So I would say spiritual formation and the philosophy of theological education by extension are the foundational aspects of the program. And certainly, you know, back in uh, 2011, in the cohort that I was in, which was called Ohana, um, there were people from around the globe there, um, people who were planting churches in Singapore, running denominations in India, people who are working with young people in the Czech Republic, um, as well as pioneering and, and mobilizing uh, people for missions across the United States. And it, it really was truly global. And one of the um, fantastic things for me, Bob, was just, uh, you know, interacting with global mission leaders from around the world, both online and then face to face. So in adult education, is there a sense in which leaders learn as, as much from one another and from the praxis as they do from the the uh, information that's given um, uh, in lectures and in other ways? Well, certainly so. The, the whole field that is called adult education these days, which is sort of a misnomer because it was given that name in contrast to uh, what you might do to educate children. But my wife was an elementary school teacher and she used a lot of these techniques in elementary school. The, the whole idea is that it's uh, education that transform happens not just because of content, but happens from our life experience. And so uh, that life experience becomes uh, one of the most important uh, things to build on in terms of education. And so Malcolm Knowles was one of the first people who named this philosophy of education, adult education. But his point was that actually the older you get, the more life experience you have. And therefore, if you can reflect on it, that becomes uh, a transformational aspect of education. Now, one of the things that really pleasantly surprised me um, was the impact on my own spiritual formation of being part of uh, that cohort and part of the MAGL. What, what role does spiritual formation actually play in the courses that you run from, from Fuller? If we look at the uh, learning outcomes that we hope to, that come out of the program, we really focus on the conviction that a leader's role is to help others come alongside God's ongoing mission. In other words, that has to be a foundational understanding is that it's God's mission, not ours. And so we need to discern what he's doing. And he's already at work in us. So that uh, 
it's not just a matter of what he's doing in the world. It's a matter of what he's already doing in us and in the lives of uh, others that we work with and also in culture and what we can learn about uh, how he works in the scriptures. And then the leader, having discerned what God is doing in culture and scripture and ourselves, then we can be more equipped to live missionally and then influence others to do the same. So the role of spiritual formation in the program is uh, foundational. In terms of what, what do we mean by spiritual formation, I think there are many definitions, but to me, uh, one of the most important just comes out of Ephesians 4.13, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And that's our uh, hope and our dream. And when we say in our mission statement to provide transformational graduate education, that's what we're thinking about. And what kind of um, tools and, I don't like to use the word techniques, but uh, how, how do you approach that? How do you go about that with students? How do you create the environment in which that can happen um, with the students who, who are part of the program? Yeah, well, this goes to uh, a little more detail about uh, just what we mean by spiritual formation. As you probably recall, uh, Dallas Willard's book, Transformation of the Heart, is still uh, a key quote-unquote, tool that we use, and his definition is that spiritual formation refers to the spirit-driven process of forming the inner world of the human self in such a way that it becomes like the inner being of Christ himself. In other words, we focus on the being. And then I would add to that that we've seen that this is a lifelong process that God does. Now, given that, there are things that we can do to make ourselves more available to God. Another thing that we've seen is that community is essential in uh, what God is doing, and that uh, diversity is also very helpful. Um, one of my favorite uh, books and, and pictures comes from uh, Richard Foster's book, uh, Streams of Living Water, and he paints the picture of uh, in the early church, the church was one deep, strong river flowing. And since then, it's fanned out into uh, several different streams, which, because they fanned out, are a bit more shallow. His hope and dream and vision is that these streams are going to come back together at some point. But the, one of the advantages of having people from 40 different denominations in the cohort groups that you're in is you end up having people from these different streams of the church. And so, for instance, if those who are in the evangelical tradition may see spiritual formation as primarily Bible study, if they're in what uh, Foster calls the social justice tradition, they may see spiritual formation as doing uh, works of service. If they're in the charismatic tradition, they may see it being uh, as empowered by the Holy Spirit. If they're in the holiness tradition, they might see it more as uh, working on our, our personal virtues. So understanding and rubbing shoulders with people from these different uh, streams, the diversity of that helps us understand uh, a more holistic view of spiritual formation. I mean, certainly one of uh, my experiences, eye-opening experiences, was really... 
um, the looking at rhythms of life and looking at um, patterns of life and reflecting on maybe some of the Benedictine traditions that encourage hospitality as well as mission and reflection and solitude and and prayer and uh, and just the focus that you had on encouraging people just to examine all of those areas of of their lives and and what the rhythm and pattern of their lives with I you'll be encouraged to know that I still have that rhythm of life I still update it uh, I still work on it it differs from different one season to another but actually um, has been deeply influential I, I started you know practices like going for a prayer walk once a week um, to pray for my organization and myself during the time that I was following something that continues today. How, how much has that kind of Benedictine kind of philosophy and approach impacted the thinking about spiritual formation and the, the rhythms of life as well? As you recall, one of the things that we've tried to do is give some practical advice to uh, leaders who want to work on their character formation. And there are many different uh, ways to uh, do that. So I think right now what I would say to you is what we've learned from the program is that, uh, as you said, we structure the program around cohorts of 25 or so different leaders who come together face-to-face for uh, 18 months as what we call a community of practice, which is a group of people who share a common concern or passion about a topic and who deepen their knowledge or expertise by interacting on an ongoing basis. And in the, in the MAGL, the essence of, is the formation of this community of practice. And uh, so during that time, you probably saw yourself finding a mentor, a peer mentor. Sometimes we think of mentoring as only downward mentoring, somebody more senior to you. But in the cohorts, um, most of the mentoring that takes place is peer mentoring. And uh, so you were able to learn from people in different cultures, different ethnicities from yourself. And another thing that we did in terms of uh, finding community, there are many different kinds of community. Of course, being an academic institution, we focused on a learning community where we study and reflect on theory and practice but also a diverse community where we study and reflect on our context because the views of other contexts can be very enlightening. Uh, And then a relational community where we study and reflect on leading out of who we are in Christ. And this we saw as being extremely important to uh, the leaders that we have, to have a safe place where you can be truly yourself, to tell your stories, to hear other stories, and to realize that what you've experienced is, uh, it's not just happening to you, it's happening to other leaders. And uh, so one of those aspects in the cohort is we had you create a, a community uh, rule of life, which doing it online was a bit of a challenge, uh, getting people to interact about that. But uh, it set up certain expectations of how you would interact with each other during the 18 months that you were together. And uh, also, of course, you, as you mentioned, you also created your personal rule of life. And it's very encouraging to me to hear that you're still using it. So I think the Benedictine idea is important, but it's important to see it as uh, one stream 
of many streams of the Church of Christ. That's really helpful. I remember when we were at Fuller thinking about, you know, uh, leaders finishing well and some of the challenges um, of uh, finishing well as a leader and finishing the race and persevering and how many leaders actually fall out uh, of ministry during that um, process. Um, do you think that's in part due to a lack of emphasis on spiritual formation in the church and, and with um, leaders? Of course, uh, the experience that we've had with uh, leaders uh, who neglect working on their inner life, we're all familiar with the famous stories of leaders who have fallen, and uh, it hurts. It not only hurts the leader, it hurts the people who are following them. And, and most importantly, it short circuits the discipleship process. And so discipleship really ends. And uh, so one of the things that we've uh, tried to put emphasis on the in the program is that uh, our calling, our part in all of this is to fulfill the Great Commission. But... Uh, a more holistic view of what the Great Commission is. Great Commission is to make disciples, but that's not just students in a classroom, but rather people who, first of all, are called. Jesus said, you didn't call me, but I called you to go and bear fruit, fruit that would last. And I think here he's specifically referring to the fruit of the Spirit, which are only things that... Uh, the Spirit can do. Secondly, disciples are commissioned. You will receive power to be my witnesses. In other words, uh, spiritual formation results in a certain power for ministry. And you will, if you love me, you will obey me. Disciples obey. I mean, the going, the baptizing, the teaching that we always focus on in the Great Commission is meant to result in an authenticity or an inner transformation which results in our having the instincts and desires of Christ so that the doing becomes just a natural outcome of uh, who we are. Ray Stedman said it a long time ago, said God's first concern is not with what the church does, but with what the church is. Being must always precede doing. Or what we do will be according to who we are. And so as we gather leaders with significant experience, we see that oftentimes they're hurt, they're lonely, they're often confused by the changing role of the church and its leaders in today's culture. So um, there is a great need for this inner transformation and the community that we try to foster. And what kind of transformational difference do you see in the students who um, come through? I mean, you must have seen hundreds, if not thousands, over the um, uh, couple of decades that MHL has been running. You know, what, what, what kind of difference do are you seeing? Um, in those cohorts of, of students, what transformation do you see in them uh, during the time that they're uh, with you and, and beyond that? Well, I think the first thing that we notice is uh, how surprising 
but it shouldn't be surprising after we're up to 41 cohorts now. How surprising it is, the uh, level and intensity of the community that we have in these cohorts. And uh, I, I think it goes back to what I just said about uh, leaders being hurt and lonely. When we create a safe space for them to tell their stories and to realize that their story is actually quite similar to somebody else's story, even if it's a different culture and a different ministry, uh, there's kind of a exhale that takes place and people uh, just relax and uh, actually get excited about the fact that God has been at work in their life already. And uh, we are just asking them to spend some time thinking about what he's currently doing and then sharing that with others so that they can uh, learn from each other. Fantastic. And, and for leaders who are just starting out on their journey and um, starting out on, 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 on exploring the gifts that God has given them and are just starting out into new leadership positions, what, what would you have for them uh, in terms of advice um, as they begin the great adventure of finding out what God is doing and joining in with that around the world? You referred uh, just a couple minutes ago to uh, the question of how many leaders finish well. And I, it's kind of a negative thought, but I would start with that. Uh, one of my uh, retired colleagues, Bobby Clinton, did some study of uh, leaders and it began by studying uh, leaders in the Bible. He found 800 leaders, uh, only 100 have extended discussion and only 49 of those gave sufficient detail about whether the leader finished well or not. But of those 49 in the scriptures that had enough detail, only 14 of them finished well. And so Bobby, uh, in his studies, which he also has recent, more recently studied contemporary leaders, lists six characteristics of those who do finish well. And I think it's a good challenge uh, for new leaders to uh, think on these characteristics right up front. Uh, those characteristics were that, uh, first of all, they maintain a personal, vibrant relationship with God right up to the end. Secondly, they maintain a learning posture and can learn from various kinds of sources especially just life. Uh, thirdly, they manifest a Christ-likeness in their character as evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. Fourth, uh, truth is lived out in their lives so that convictions and the promises of God are seen by others as being real, not just some theoretical idea. Fifthly, they leave behind a legacy or an ultimate contribution. And finally, they walk with a growing awareness of a sense of destiny and see some of that fulfilled. So all of these are really characteristics of those who've spent time and focused more on being than on doing. Now, we've learned some specific things in our program in terms of uh, 
things that might help develop uh, character and spiritual formation. We've mentioned some already, mentoring, uh, whether it's peer mentoring or upward or downward mentoring, community, but I'd also add to that uh, actually spending some time studying the formation process. There are many, many good books that have been written about spiritual formation. And as we asked you to do in the program, write out a plan for character development. And that might include uh, developing a rule of life to hold yourself accountable to this formation. And then uh, something that's hard for all of us is to uh, set aside some time for reflection. Uh, we're busy running around serving others, but spending time just reflecting, I think is also important. As Proverbs says, above all, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. Bob, that's a, a huge challenge, um, but great advice um, coming out of years of experience, but also the study of, of real life uh, leaders. Well, it's been fascinating to uh, catch up with you and, and look at this issue of spiritual formation in, in a bit of uh, depth. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your heart for uh, developing um, leaders who are already in ministry and for all that Fuller and, and you do to uh, contribute to that into the lives of, of many, many leaders. Uh, Bob Freeman, thank you so much for joining us today uh, on this podcast. Thank you, Simon. We hope you enjoyed listening to that interview. There's a new podcast released every Monday morning. Go to www.forge-leadership.com for more information.